Hello and welcome to Shot for Shot, a podcast where we sit down with our friends and watch a bad movie and then we all take a shot and then we talk about it. I'm your host, Reese. And I'm your host, Addie. <laughs> and we just finished watching the 2019 film, The Goldfinch. This painting, Fabricius is the Goldfinch, destroyed in a mindless terrorist attack on the New York Museum. With our guests today. Uh, so we're going to have you guys introduce yourselves. And when you do, so you're going to say your name, the shot that you are taking, your shot of choice, and you're just going to give us a little bit of background. What defines a bad movie for you? Um, whoever wants to go first, go for it. Hi, uh, I'm Chris Maioli. Today I'm taking a shot of tequila, which is great. Um, Bad movies are movies that just don't make sense, or the pacing's off, or it doesn't really mean anything. Um, I don't know, there's, there's a lot that can make it bad. Um, for me, the easiest way to understand it is a good movie, you don't really notice what made it good. It was just good. In a bad movie, you notice everything. Uh, so, yeah. Um, I'm Kristen. I have a hypothetical shot of tequila because I have to work tomorrow. But I've had, like, two glasses <laughs> of orange wine, so I think it balances out. Um, and I think a bad movie personally is anything that fills me with rage. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Uh, Chris, if you don't mind counting us down for the shot. Three, two, one. Cheers! Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Chris, are oh, you okay? Yeah, I'm great. Addie. Addie, what it was? Uh, you had tequila too, right? Yeah. Awesome. Alrighty. So let's just introduce this movie real quick. Um, the Goldfinch was made or premiered, I guess, in 2019. It was directed by John Crowley, who also did Brooklyn. That was the only other movie by him I had known. I had known. Uh, it is based on Dada Tart's Pulitzer-winning novel, uh, which was published in 2013. It stars Ansel Elgort. Uh, and a bunch of other famous people, film Wolfhard. Um, and that's the basic summary of it. It The film rights were acquired as soon as the book was published, basically, in 2014. And the budget was between 44 and $49 million, according to Wikipedia. How much do you guys want to guess that it made in opening weekend? I would say 23. 23 mil, like a cool 23 mil? Yeah. Okay, Chris. Oh, I'm going way less. Wait, is this so this is box or... office, I'm going to say worldwide opening weekend, just the first Wait, weekend. Did this premiere towards Christmas or was this a summer movie? This premiered the same weekend as Hustlers. I don't 2020 like ruled me, like, like literally wrecked me so much. What what month was that? That was definitely like a winter month. I think it was <laughs> It was so it November, was just it was cold. It was cold. I remember it was cold because I wanted uh Jennifer Lopez to just hold me tight in her in her uh coat. September thirteenth, twenty nineteen is when Okay. okay. Really Perfect. Cold, I, would, but... I yeah, I would I would still say around twenty mil. Twenty mil. All opening right. weekend. Okay. I'm going with fifteen. I don't yeah, fifteen. You're both dead wrong. It uh made two point six million opening weekend. And then box office total, what do you guys think? Ten? Now I'm going low, so maybe like eight. Okay. You're both much closer. It's nine point nine. According again to Wikipedia. 
Oh, dang. Look at you, Kristen. You almost got it. So close. <laughs> oh, thank you. Okay. Um, yeah, this movie did not receive rave reviews, uh, landing at a 24% on Rotten Tomatoes. And so I just want to open up the conversation because, as we noted, this movie was based off of a novel. And um, I'll be the first to admit, I am the only person in this group that did not read the book. Um, so I want to ask you guys, just like, so uh, in his Rolling Stone review, Peter Travers said that it appears to be adapting the Cliff Notes version of the book instead of the book itself, producing an unplayable series of scene snippets. Um, so for, for all of you guys, uh, how does this film compare to the novel? Just like quick, quick uh, little snapshots. Well, before we do that, Marissa, can I have you summarize what the movie was about? Can I have you summarize what you think this story completely is about? All right, let me let me just recap what the last two and a half hours of my life was. Um, so we have a child, and uh, he's in the Met, and then the Met explodes, and his mom dies. And then this really nice family wants to adopt him. And right before they take him on a perfect little trip, his uh, deadbeat dad shows up with his new stepmommy and take him away to Las Vegas, where he then um, just embarks on lots of drugs, lots of alcohol. Um, his dad is abusive and is stealing all of his money. And then his dad dies. And then he grows up and goes back to New York, where we started, because this did start in the Met. And then um, he's still on a lot of drugs. And then, uh, since oh, and then it all centers around a painting, which seems like a plot C. Um, but it, that's the main point, is that there's a painting that his mother loves. Um, and then he gets it back through some sort of um, mafia art war scene. Um, and oh, he's in love with his childhood friend from Vegas. Ah, how's, okay. How's that? That was very good. Thank you. Okay. All right. Chris and Kristen, so- <laughs> compare it to the book. <laughs> um, I would describe them as both bad for different reasons. Okay. Oh, do I need to go into more detail? Well, so what I want to know here is just like what was different from the book to the movie? Like were there major plot points missing? Oh, everything. What was different? Everything, everything was different. I will say, okay. Donna Tart as an author, she wrote one of my favorite books, The Secret History. I know it's also one of Addie's favorite books. Um, she has a very eloquent way of writing that in prose comes off as like gorgeous. And when translated in the movie version, feels like watching Ansel Elgort kind of almost cry for two hours at a 45 minutes. <laughs> um, I will say what was different was everything. Um, the uh, timeline wasn't the same. I had never seen the movie before. I thought it was going to be bad for very different reasons because I didn't like the book. And and then it surprised me by being bad for reasons that I thought were avoidable. All in all, a lot of the plot points were either avoided or they kind of put them in such a weird order that when, like, you know, the home stretch finally came around and, you know, he's supposed to be having these moments of great importance instead i had to be like do people who haven't read the book know about that like did they actually show why that's important <laughs> so all in all rage <laughs> okay all right that's fair chris do you have anything to add anything you noticed 
Yeah, so I agree on a lot of the stuff. I think the most mind-boggling part of this is that they took an 800-page book and they represent it in a two-and-a-half-hour-long movie, and yet it still feels paced terribly. It still provides no exposition in the character, no like development, no details. It's all over the place. It's scattered. You lose the story as they tried to condense everything, but the movie's long enough that they shouldn't have had condensed that much nonsensical. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely a trip. Okay, get it? It's a pun because because they're tripping the whole movie. Because they trip a lot. <laughs> Not that the movie shows you that, but you know, it's implied. Yeah, this um, that's essentially kind of what I gathered. Um, this is definitely <laughs> a movie that tries i think it really wanted to be like a masterpiece like it wanted to be something that could have been like a snapshot could have been taken and hung in the met um and it just like forgot about everything else Mm -hmm. so on the note of rage and a trip what was the worst part or moment of the film oh no okay so for me the worst part was definitely at or near the end. No, it's it's the end of the movie. So, like, your climatic scene, which, if you're reading the book, you just went through 700 pages to get to. <laughs> um, but in the movie, you just had to sit there for two hours and 15 minutes. But you get there, and not only does it not make sense, not only is the pacing still off, not only is the color contrast giving you whiplash between these different scenes and settings, but it just doesn't make sense. Nothing really comes together there's no like drama in it there's no pool it's like okay that was it and now i guess we're done i can i can go back to my normal life and pretend like this movie didn't happen because that's kind of what i want to do okay i think the worst part for me was when i realized that baby driver is still angle elgort's best movie (laughs) at what moment did you realize that um while many people have called him a pretty boy in this film, he tends to cry like there is a PA off screen holding up a chalkboard that says, please cry. <laughs> so his bottom lip just wavers, and then he cries like he's realizing that he'll never be invited back to another movie. That's how he cries. like... <laughs> <laughs> realization that this will still never outrank his performance in Baby Driver. That's fair. That's fair. Marissa, what was the worst part for you? For me, um... It was us talking during the movie. (laughs) (laughs) Nah. I'll be very honest, this is very specific and, um, it's, in the very beginning of the film, there was a shot when um, the main character, when Theo was in, what's her name, Pippa? Yeah. Yes. Uh, was in Pippa's room, and they had like just like met after the explosion, and there was just a random shot um, through the mirror. And if a, if you're gonna make a film and you're gonna put in a mirror shot, like make it mean something like that. I don't know why, but that's like a really mm. big pet peeve of mine. And so like I wrote down, I was like will this like be a reoccurring theme is this an important like use of doing something different and fancy and it wasn't it was just lame (laughs) (laughs) 
And that was the worst part of this movie for me. <laughs> I think um, my worst part is the narration that Ansel Elgort does where he speaks over and like tries to explain his thought process mm. because they come at such random moments and are spoken with so, so little effort, it feels like. It, I mean, with narration, like you, it has to do its job well. And for, and I think that a lot of book adaptions try to do the narration so that they can like fill in for plot and or fill in for something extra. And it's not like it's rarely used properly. Does that make sense? Yes. I think this was the first time though that I ever watched a book movie where it was, it could have been used more. I am always one to be like, for the love of God, stop the narration. And then I watched this and I was like, if they were already going to use narration, why not explain some of the plot points a little better? Yeah. Yeah, none of it made, like, they use it at such random parts. Like, they used it poorly. Right. Not even that the fact that they, like, used it at all, although normally I would think that. But, yeah, they didn't use it well. They didn't even put in the effort. And I think it's because Ansel Elgort is not, I'm not going to call him a not a good actor, but I don't think he's a good actor. At least in this. After this, I don't think he's a good actor. <laughs> well, when the narration first started at the very beginning, when, like, the whole movie started. In Amsterdam, I dreamt I saw my mother again. She was just as glad to see me as I was to see her. The only thing I could, like, hear was like you put the thing that kills you in between your teeth but you don't give it the power <laughs> to kill you that's all i could movie. hear because i couldn't believe him i couldn't believe him as an adult i could not take him seriously no. i couldn't there was one point where chris he was like lining up the pills on the buffet or whatever and chris was like just do them all just shove them all in your mouth oh. and i leaned over and go no slowly <laughs> And then all at once. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are gonna literally like trigger me. Ooh, ooh. Oh god. So to switch gears completely, were there any redeemable qualities about this movie? The sweaters. I was like, yeah. The sweaters. <laughs> so good. Yeah, sweater content was definitely there. It was just that had to be my favorite part of it. I was like, you know what? Costumes did one thing right. None of it, none of it was like period. Not like you couldn't tell like what was happening, where we were in time, and the sweaters weren't helpful either. But man, did they look good. <laughs> sweaters were great. I loved them. Anyone else? I think that's about I it. I liked I mean, if there was one thing that I thought there were like two or three things that I thought felt like the book one was Pippa's room when they were children. That looked like how I pictured it as a book in the book. And the other was when they were at that wine bar and she's like, Don't fall in love with me. I hate you. It's not what she says, obviously, but like that's how he takes it. Um that scene, the way it is shot and the way it like is so close to them and feels very warm is how I pictured it in the book. Mm. Other than that, I would say, um, I'm looking at my notes. No, I would say no. <laughs> Kristen? We're saying things that I like. Mm -hmm. Redeemable qualities of the film. Oh, that's not what I was going to say. Um, 
I can tell you what I thought was fun. Maybe doesn't make the film redeemable. That's fair. Go with fun. Um, I really liked how the shots of New York didn't make me cry because they were bad. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, so here's my caveat. Every movie that I have watched in the last six months that has reminded me of like the bustle of New York combined with the anonymity, like you could just walk into a street and suddenly be filled with like surrounded by hundreds of thousands of people living out their own lives and stories. Mm-hmm. That whole like we watched uh, like Dash and Lily, and I was like, "This is a stupid show," and I'll still sob about it because they're near strangers, <laughs> you know, less than six feet away. But the whole right. movie, all of the shots of the city, he felt alone, and not in yeah. that whole like self pity thing that he does in the book. But I was like, "At least this isn't making me cry." Good on them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Chris, what were you gonna say? I just I know it didn't work. But I like the fact that they held the scene in the Met until the end of the movie, and they kind of gave you pieces of it. I think if it was done a little bit differently, I think if they gave you a stronger sense of timeline and the passage of time and character development, and then they ended the movie with that, and then they have this awesome parallel to who he was and who he is now, I see what they were trying to do, and I like that story. It just didn't make sense with the rest of the movie. Mm. So noble attempt. Didn't really work. Okay. Yeah. No, I think that I think that's pretty fair. Um, what everybody said makes sense to me. Um, okay. <laughs> what I want to kind of shift gears into now is kind of dissecting the different aspects of this film. So, like, what was strong, what wasn't, and what where things could have been better. So, like, starting with the story, the like shifting of this from a novel to a to a uh, a script, essentially. Uh, what are what are your guys' thoughts on that? Bad. So I think this is a hard, this is not a book I would have ever, ever made into a movie. And I remember I finished the book and then I went, they're making a movie? <laughs> That's going to be terrible. <laughs> and I wasn't wrong because the book is paced very poorly. Mm-hmm. And they translate that bad pacing and somehow make that pacing worse. <laughs> mm. Which is astounding to me and I went back and forth on whether it's like a um, I think it's a screenplay issue in the movie because the way that they like time things out and are like decide what to focus on and then how to flip back and forth between things Mm. I think that is a pull the way they did it was very very bad okay yeah uh what about you guys Chris and Kristen so I disagree that I agree that this book, as a book, was a really big challenge to try and make into a movie. I think the story, though, could have been done well. I understand how that story could translate on screen well. Um, Maybe they were just too tied down to the book and not the story. Mm -hmm. I don't really know what happened in their creative process. But I see that it could have been done, and this just didn't hit the mark eventually 10 15 years down the road this is a story i think could be done well on screen but they made decisions maybe they were overcorrecting for the pacing like addy said but it just really did not work for me i have a super wild theory and this might be very galaxy brain go for it okay here's my thing donna tart like one of the things she's great at right is like the elevation of aesthetics so whether we're talking about like secret history or goldfinch one of the things she does well 
is she makes the ordinary beautiful, whether it's something that's really sad or something that's really, you know, like obviously they're doing drugs, but the way that she describes it, it's kind of gorgeous, you know? Mm-hmm. And she also has this really elevated way of thinking about like art and history and culture. Like in the secret history, like the classics kind of become this like defining end all be all. And in the Goldfinch, obviously he's like an antique dealer and all of the things that he loves and reveres, like, you know, the family that adopts him, he loves them because he comes in and they're like, oh, like they're rich and they're refined and they're classy. And he loves his mother because even though they didn't have as much money, she still found a way to teach him all of these things and also be a model, a very like manic pixie dream girl. Mm-hmm. And so I think for people like average readers of The Goldfinch and also people who love Donna Tartt, the biggest vibe you get is like, yes, your aesthetics. And I think for the filmmakers, they put the aesthetics into the people instead of the environment, if that makes any sense. Yeah, absolutely. When I think of an Oscar bait movie, you know, it's like these really, really big actresses or these really big actors Mm -hmm. and like the aesthetics of like this award-winning gorgeous movie or like all of these famous people delivering their most heartfelt lines about what they think the purpose of life is instead of focusing on like the actual surroundings which is where like I think the prettiest part about the book and what could have been the prettiest part of the movie are okay yeah absolutely I also like in terms of the way that this was written and um just again have not read the book but from what I understand is that it's more linear in the book. It's more like it starts at the beginning and then it goes to the end. Uh, it doesn't do all of the like flashbacks that it does in the movie. Am I right in saying that? That oh, is God, very, yes. very true. Painfully linear. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> so I think um, for me, like with how that was done, it sort of makes sense, but I would not have done it so drastically. And then also like, this is kind of switching to a different form or like a different um, aspect of like making the film. But with the transitions, like the very first transition is like young Theo looking at the pool and then him like jumping out of a bathtub. But like that is like the easiest like cinematic like switch, you know, (laughs) like jumping into a pool and then waking up in a bathtub. That's like the simplest thing to do. And they didn't even do that. And then it was just jarring and weird. And then the next one was a better parallel. It was him waking, like falling asleep mm-hmm. in bed and then waking up in bed. Like that makes sense. Um, that time switch makes sense. But I, so with time, I think it's really funny that we like spent a lot of like a good, I'd say the first hour and a half trying to figure out what, era what what year <laughs> it was and trying to establish if 9-11 happened in this world or not and like what like the I, we talked about this in cats figuring out the rules of the world and world building mm-hmm. this story didn't see like and maybe it's different in the book but in the movie it was nearly impossible to figure out what world we were living in i almost feel like this is less necessary when you're talking about a book because it focuses in so much on one character's perspective which I think this movie still did like we had very 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 little character development from anyone Mm -hmm. 
But I think because it hones in on specifically like Theo is doing this, Theo is doing that, blah, 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 blah. Like you don't ever zone out enough to the world to be like, oh, nine eleven happened. Like there's nothing, you don't have to worry about it almost because it's so focused on him. Mm-hmm. Which I think in a movie, again, doesn't work partially because we're now seeing everything. Whereas in the book, you're, while she describes things very, very vividly, you are still imagining them. And so you're pulling your experiences into that imagination. So like when she describes this Upper East Side apartment of the barbers, I'm like filling in what I know from like apartments that I've babysat at. Right. And in the movie, it doesn't look anything like an Upper East Side apartment that I've been to. And so that is like making me be like, okay, what time are we in? Where are we at? Yeah. So... I think that's part of it is like visually you have to kind of fill those details in when we're playing in kind of the real world. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the book, because you're imagining so much and it's so character focused, you don't have to fill it out as much. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, do you have any thoughts on this? I definitely agree with the issues of world building and how it just doesn't make sense. I almost think that you could accredit some of this to the fact that in the book and also in the movie, like everything takes place through Theodore Decker's eyes. So he's kind of very inwardly focused. He has a narcissistic personality. He has a lot of uh, issues. But for some reason, the story just never really explains that. And the movie doesn't get you to that point. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so like other aspects would be like cinematography, casting, costumes, lighting, um editing you know what i just want to hear everything you guys have to say about the different aspects of this film i think i thought about design more in this movie than i have in a lot of movies like set design Mm -hmm. costume design it was very very obvious in this i feel like but not in a good way Mm -hmm. just playing off of like what i think makes a bad movie especially like i made that opening comment about I think a bad movie is when a lot of the stuff becomes noticeable like that's when you start to understand that it's not working it's not it's just not good I think that's why I picked up on all of that those issues whether it's placing a time period for the costumes or understanding the set design or having like some sense of cohesiveness throughout the movie I picked up on every single instance when like the color contrast was just like whiplash and it was changing and it was all over the place and it didn't really seem tied to a mood or a place or an emotion. It was just all over the place. Or costumes could be like, oh, well, like, that looks like they're dressing in, like, 2008. And this looks like she's dressing in, like, 1995. It just doesn't really make sense. And you pick up on all of it. And, it, again, like, pulls you out of the experience. And it just didn't really work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kristen? Um, if I were to describe this film's internal workings, it felt like every theme, whether it be costuming or editing or the set design, was given one million dollars and then came back in eight months and were like, "We're shooting tomorrow." <laughs> <laughs> no one, no one spoke, no one chatted. Two people read the wrong book and just worked through it. <laughs> <laughs> Everything felt like they were deliberate choices for different films. Some that the goldfinch wanted to be, some that the goldfinch thought it was and then drastically course corrected, and others just felt like they had a sale at Nordstrom and a PA was like, oh gosh, we're 
we're out of clothes, guys. Just grab what you can. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that note about it being different movies. I do think this movie felt like it was six different movies. Yeah. That kind of got crammed into one. Because one movie is like Theo as a child getting, like, being in this attack. Mm-hmm. And then going to live with the barbers and then probably I guess still going to live with Boris but like that is one coming of age movie in and of itself like it had a different soundtrack than everything it had different visuals than everything and then another is Boris is an adult on this like hunt for this art piece that he has now realized that he has lost and it is the scene in the parking garage and all of that happening and then you have the scene where he is with Kitsy then they're like an Upper East Side couple and it's all drama and she's cheating on him and blah, 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 blah. It just felt like there was so much happening, but none of it was developed. None of it felt like cohesive or like it connected to each other or even that he was the same character throughout. And it felt like things just kind of happened to him casually and not like he had any development or say in anything. Which I guess is the whole meaning behind his like monologue at the end where he's like, well, things just happen. Things just fall apart. Life is chaos. Which is the point when I threw the book across the room. And in the movie, it just feels like it's like a throwaway line. And you're like, no, this is the thesis. Yeah. Anywho, I'm getting off track. I would just like to say what is very fun, um, Marissa, for your listeners, before we recorded this, uh, someone brought out the copy of The Goldfinch that at least the three of us passed around and it is shredded and I mean truly it is the most destroyed book we own because the only way to describe it is we all took separate months to go through it and everyone in their rage at having finished left their permanent mark on the book. It looks like you all took it like on an individual trip through like the mountains. Yeah, that's I went to the mountains when I finished. I spilled coffee on it. There's coffee. It, it looks like it was dropped in a bath. It does look like it was dropped in a bath. I think it was dropped in a bath at the end. I might have I broke the spine because I used it to prop up like <laughs> a camera on Newsweek once, and it like just <laughs> did not work. Oh man. Yeah, it's a lot. It's rough. It's but no, I had a point and I I, I didn't say it. Um, that's exactly how it's um uh, broken up in the book. Ads. Yeah, you're right. Like every time he leaves somewhere, it's like not like a chapter. It's like a two page break, and the it's like a part. Part one. The Angel Elgore. Yeah, the Angel Elgore. Does does she name it the before or after? I don't re- really remember. But it's like the Angel Elgort or whatever, the Theo that we meet when we finish those two-page breaks, something in him has changed. Yeah. Which I think is why he feels so passive, because in the film, you never get... I never got the idea that he was struggling, which is the only thing I picked up from the general vibe of the book. Yeah, the whole thing in the book is like, he is not doing well. He is on so many drugs. Like, he starts doing drugs in Vegas. He is drunk And then he never, ever stops. Yeah, and then the to movie, the point, like was... he has a couple pills in his dresser. Like he so just has I. a general drawer. Like I don't know where it is, but like in the book, there were several times where Donna Tart is like, "There are drug dealers and other drug addicts. 
who are looking Theo in the eyes and being like, I think this is going to kill you. And then the movie's like, no, he's okay. Like casual Coke user. Also, I would like to say I will now put V for Vicodin sticky notes on all of our foods and pills, and you're just going to have to guess what everything is. Oh, thank you. All right. Um, Are there any other random notes about, like, the movie parts as a whole? What are your thoughts on casting? So, this cast was very interesting. This cast was very, very, very interesting. Um, (laughs) We had Ansel Elgort. Um, playing Theo Decker. We had Nicole Kidman playing Mrs. Barber. And in terms of uh, what I being very specific about Nicole Kidman, bringing us back to the topic of the budget. Um, I what did we say <laughs> that the budget for this film was? It was like forty five million, um, with almost fifty yeah. million dollars. I think a good chunk of that had to have gone to Nicole Kidman's prosthetic t- to look aged. Um, I mean, just like the slab of clay on her neck <laughs> had to be expensive. <laughs> it had to be. Um, and then we had Jeffrey Wright playing, is it Hobie? Yeah, it's short for Hobart. Okay. Hobart, okay. And then Luke Wilson playing Theo's dad and then married to Sarah Paulson uh, playing Xandra. Okay, Sarah Paulson took me out of this movie every time she appeared on screen. I was like, where are we? What am I watching? Really? Okay, maybe that's just because I don't, like, I I think we just have very different experiences with Sarah Paulson. She was the only one, like, grounded me in something. That's so funny. What did I say? I said, what a waste of a day. And I (laughs) did say that. And then we have Finn (laughs) Finn Wolfhard. um, Who might be actually, shockingly, young Boris. Which, for me... For me, Finn took me out of the movie more than Sarah Paulson. Well, I mean, like a Finn lot had more. that accent. Just because he is... He had that accent. Yeah. And yet I still think... And it was just... Finn might have been the second best actor in this. Interesting. I'm going to say it. The first Who was the first young best Theo. one? Young Theo, Oaks, I would die for. Oaks Fegley. Old Theo, I wanted to stab in the heart. <laughs> Ansel oh, Elgort, okay. No. Young Theo, I love him. He was perfect. I will say, the only thing I would change about this movie, if I had to change one thing, I would still cast Finn Wolfhard as old Boris. Mm. (laughs) I wanted him to play both young Boris and old Boris. So, what I'm hearing is they should have just stopped the movie once they got older. Do we like the young actors and we hate the old actors? And the movie kind of fell apart in the second half. So, let's just dive deeper on the first half of the movie and end it you with... You know who Finn I absolutely adored was the kid, the Andy. Was that his name? <gasps> yeah. Oh, he's so cute. Andy was good. Young Andy was Andy very Barber. good. That, what an adorable child. I think what's funny is, at least on our version, the subtitle still said Young Andy, even though there is no old Andy. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> too soon i honestly i was waiting it like for... really sets you up like you're gonna see an old andy there's no there's no old andy i don't and maybe that's that's why i had this feeling when um andy's brother uh platt is that his name platt like ben yeah, platt? platt okay that makes yep. sense mm-hmm. um, a terrible name what an awful name um when he was talking to theo in that bar and telling the story of how andy died 
I was half expecting you guys to all like look at each other and be like, they killed off Andy. I thought, no, Andy's an <laughs> integral part of the story. Why would they kill off Andy? But then like none of you had that reaction. So I was like, oh, he, this must just be a terrible plot point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of useless. His death didn't serve a purpose. That's the whole no. point of the goldfinch. Life is chaos, Marissa. Sometimes rich white people adopt you and sometimes you commit petty arson and aggressive grand larceny in other countries and are also a heavy drug user and you get away with it because art is beautiful. I that is the, that's the moral of the story, actually. That's I hate good. it. The moral of the story is white people get to do things because art. <laughs> Sound of tired, everybody. Sound of everybody. <laughs> I think we should move on to talk about book adaptions. Where does everyone fall on the debate of comparing books to movies that they are based on? Is the book always better? What is your favorite book adaption? I can't say it. Nice. This is my, uh, I'm just going to do that tequila. Hey? To see. No, it didn't. <laughs> I'm just stuttering. <laughs> Let's Personally, think about that. I went from very being very strongly against all book adaptions can't say adaptions. I'm really sorry. Adaptations? Yeah, that too. I'm not sure what the word is. I've gone back and forth, and then people have mocked me both ways. So I'm not sure what it is anymore. Mm. Probably my biggest nerd failing. <laughs> I went from very strongly against them to uh, very strongly for if you do it correctly. Well, my favorite one might still be, to this day, The Hunger Games Catching Fire. Interesting. Oh. Thank very, you. very interesting. So oh. I, I guess the question that I want everybody to answer is what does it take for a book adaption to not suck? It has to capture the spirit of the book and any details that seem like they were written for a very specific reason. Okay. So if they add to character development or plot, mm -hmm. which is why Catching Fire succeeds. Okay. Is because all of the details they add are for character development. Okay. Christopher. All the ones they ignore, we're not. Christopher. So I I agree that like to a certain extent you have to capture tone. Um, I fully blanked on books that have turned into movies, so I googled <laughs> it as soon as you brought this up. Um, and I'm now looking through a list. Um, and there's like a lot of really really good ones that I did not realize or kind of forgot were book ad adaptations. Um, like The Martian. Um, yeah or The Silence of the Lambs, or Room. Like, these are all incredible movies I really loved. I'm skipping over all the ones <laughs> I didn't like at all. Um, I think, for me, what has to happen for it to be good is you have to make the movie a freestanding thing. And that's, again, where The Goldfinch failed, is to watch that movie and to understand what was happening, I feel like you had to have read the book and enjoyed the book. And maybe that's why I didn't do well at the box office, because, you know, we'll leave that open-ended. Uh, but the movie has to be freestanding. It has to be its own thing. It should capture the essence. It should be, like, broad story points. But after that, it has to be a movie. Ooh. It is no longer a book. Yeah. Make it a movie. Make yeah. it a film. So then Make do you think that own. it's fair to compare books and movies because they are different mediums? Yeah, I think so. I think that the, the, the killer thing is it's the same story. As someone who does own multiple The Book With Better shirts, um... <laughs> <laughs> I will I will say I think it's all about the vibe, which is a very 
calm way of basically saying it's the spirit of the book. Um, I don't mm-hmm. know. I think what's interesting is some of the best, some of the best book adaptations, the movie, like book to movie ones that I've seen, don't necessarily capture the same plot or the same feeling. Not even necessarily the same feeling. Ah. What I'm trying to say through my wine brain is it doesn't necessarily have to be the same to feel the same. My best example okay. is Arrival. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Because Arrival as a short story slash book and Arrival as a movie are very different beasts which capture the exact same vibe. Mm. It, like, it just, it's the feeling. And I think the feeling is the biggest thing. Because the feeling is what people treasure. It's why you have a Percy Jackson remake that people were like, how, how dare you? <laughs> and then people were like, Arrival's the greatest Percy thing. Jackson. Everything comes... I will never, ever forgive them. <laughs> because I think that the best... I think that the more beloved the book is, the less chance you have to make it something new. Yes. Which, which will cripple most, most things, I would say. Another example right. for very different reasons, Call Me By Your Name. Because mm. I hated the book. And the movie left out just enough details to make it way less creepy. <laughs> the book is so aggressively, I am 15 and a Jew and so not like really into my body. And I screw this older grad student who clearly knows what he's doing. And the movie is like, what if we want to be loved? Yeah, that's <laughs> true. The movie feels much less creepy. The book is god awful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's it's the vibe. Yeah, absolutely. I am currently just like looking around my room at the limited number of books that I own, um, trying to place what books that I've read that have been turned into movies, which are very few. I can give you a list of ones that have been made into movies and ones that are about to be made into movies from my book. So let me... Let me go off this. Let me. The last time that I sat down in a movie theater and like felt like I was back in my bed reading the book was definitely with the Hunger Games movies. Yeah. I, like they did a really good job of capturing that vibe, that feeling. And then the one that I remember reading the book, getting so excited, going to the movie theater, like opening night to like be a part of it and being so disappointed was Paper Towns. Oh. Which tells you how how long it's been since I've Pizza. read a book that got turned Let's into a movie. Let's throw it all the way back to the Fault in Our Stars. One more time. How do we feel about <laughs> <Paul> Green? <laughs> Complicated. Um, I think what's interesting is that like the Hunger Games came at the peak of the let's be as true to the book as possible phase, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I also think it's like the YA aspect. Absolutely, because I mean, like with Divergent, I felt that I felt similar as well, but it just lacked a little bit of luster. Wait, you thought Maybe Divergent because... was as good as the book? No, I thought Divergent was almost like at that same level that Hunger Games put me. At. Does that make oh. sense? The first one for sure. Yeah. No, the first movie is exactly like the book, and the second one is not yeah. even close. Yeah, the second one was like trash. it looked at the book and then was like, mm, "Here's a different plot completely." I think it's interesting about the YA aspect, and I think this is the difference as you go and like you they kind of bridge the gap between YA and what we consider now to be adult fiction. Is I, mean, I feel like new adult. 
or even like new adult fiction the YA that like our our generation was defined by was very plot heavy yes well I mean we had like, Twilight like yeah but I'm saying like if you even think about it like from people who are older than us so what you basically have like what uh the Lord of the Rings yeah Harry mm-hmm. Potter Twilight mm-hmm. we're talking like massive but also, young adult didn't really exist before our generation. Like, as yeah, but I'm it, saying, like it is de- it's something that developed, like, as we were growing up. It was children's books, yeah. and then it was adult books. Okay, well, if we're bringing it back to the Goldfinch, what I do think <laughs> is interesting is that I feel like studios now are less hesitant to make a book a movie unless it is, like, a big-name thing, if that makes any sense. Wait, because they are in less my hesitant head, to unless it's big? No, I didn't say that right. Okay. They're more hesitant they to unless it's big. They are more hesitant big. to make any book into a movie unless it is already big in other circles than fans. Because yeah. I think you are seeing very good examples of a studio could make a, just a general bad movie about a random plot and they could lose a little bit of money. But if they make a bad movie about a book that people really care about, they will get roasted till the end of days. Yes. Mm. To the point where even everything comes back to Percy Jackson. When they announced they were making a new Percy Jackson TV series, the people who made the Percy Jackson movie all apologized. But I think like with the Goldfinch, they were like, oh, it's a Pulitzer. No one can fight this. What can go wrong? Yeah, a lot apparently. Um, everything can go wrong. <laughs> so, um, next up, I just want to read through a couple of reviews, just like some quotes that I picked out from reviews that movie critics have given. Uh, so here we go. First up, we have Kevin Mayer, uh, from the Times UK, and he says, Ah, poor wussums. The Goldfinch is the kind of movie that you want to pick up and cuddle and stroke its befuddled head and say, There, there. It's all right. You did your best. And uh, next we have A.O. Scott from the New York Times. He says, it looks and sounds like a movie without being one. And then Jonathan W. Hickman from (laughs) Daily Film Fix says, all you need to know about the Goldfinch movie is that the kiss gets a laugh. So with those with those quotes, I just kind of, um, I'm going to assume that he's referring to the one between Finn and um, the child, the other child. Oh, I didn't laugh at that. Boris? Boris and Theo, Theo that's what I meant, yes. Yeah. I agree. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Um, Okay, so um, going back into, like, let's just all pretend that we are playing our own parts on set. If you had a say in the making of this film, at what point would you have stepped in and said, like, this is a bad movie, we shouldn't do this? And at what point would you have quit? Um, Chris, I want to go with you first. Um, after watching the movie, screenplay would have stepped in and said something's wrong. Assuming I was able to pick up on that. Um, because after watching it, the screenplay is just an absolute mess. It doesn't really make sense. Um, assuming it could have translated into a good film, I didn't pick up on it. I definitely would have said something about the director's role with the actors. I think he pulled out the wrong side of emotion with them. I think he didn't give them the time that they deserved. I didn't think that 
they delivered their lines as well as the lines could have been done or should have been done to fit the tone, the meaning, character development. Again, something we keep talking about. I would have quit definitely by editing. No, no later than that. I would have said, I don't want my name on this project. Please take me out. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, Kristen. I would have created a Schneider cut of this film where once <laughs> I realized it was going downhill, I would have my own separate editing system and I would make this footage so freaking experimental. Like, oh my God, would I have edited this differently? But um, personally, I don't think I ever would have quit. I just think I would have worked under um, a pseudonym so that I both get my money and am never again associated with the tragedy that is this film. <laughs> Addie? Screenplay! I hate it so much. I hate it so, Screenplay. so, so much. I would have torn it apart if someone had given it to me. I would have been That's like, mm, this seems stupid to so many yeah. parts. I, I was gonna say that I don't think I would have gotten hired to work on this film but then after thinking about the film again it seems like people who were unqualified to work on this film got hired to work on this film so um having that being said I just think that ugh I mean at the very least I think like we would have gotten through filming we would gone through like costumes and everything i've been like oh that's a pretty sweater i love it uh keep going as you were um and then just moved on until i was sitting in the editing room i would have been like what are we like what is the purpose behind your colorization um why is the soundtrack like uh i don't think that a soundtrack should operate the way that it operates in this film um nothing none of the like while watching it like go through the ringer i would be like mm, something's not right here um and i would have just I, I would probably get frustrated and be on my way i think what i was thinking about is i remember when they said it was a movie so for my first thought was i think this is going to be a bad movie and my second thought was the only way it can't be a bad movie is if you make it feel like the weirdest drug trip that you've ever been on. Like if you take all of the parts of the book that are super, super weird and hone in on those, and like the scenes at Vegas should be so blurred. Like I want it to be so experimental and weird. That's the only way you think you could mm. make it work. Is if you were like, yeah. this still doesn't make sense, but at least it's cool to look yeah. at. I don't know. Mm. That's the way I would have done it. It's just gone totally bizarre bizarre or arguably it did make it look like a but like a huge trip it really did uh it just never told you it was <laughs> going to be a trip so the audience never really understand that they were supposed to understand that uh, the screenplay itself is just a trip on drugs and it's kind of meta so we're supposed to enjoy it for that it's not my rage that's it <laughs> rage Ah. Yeah, it just, I don't know. There was just something so off about it. And in terms of like the screenwriting, I would not have understood what was happening 
like as frustrated as I was with you guys talking through this movie, I don't think I would have <laughs> understood what was happening in the plot if you guys weren't filling in like some of the like plot points from the book. You know what I mean? Like I was so lost half the time just trying to figure out what was going on and what I was supposed to be picking up on and what was supposed to be important. None of that was clicking for me. What I thought was interesting is for a movie that takes place in such different um, time places, the fact that they only use two actors for Theo makes it way harder to tell what time you're in. True. Mm -hmm. Like, one, I definitely think because Donna Tartt is so weird about how much time Theo spends in each place, I think it would have been way easier to have a separate Theo for Vegas and a separate Theo in the beginning. Mm. Because the way time shifts, it, I don't mean, because obviously they weren't going to make Ansel Elgort two people. Like the older version of Theo, they weren't going to make him two people. And I think the implication right. was that Ansel Elgort would act so <laughs> deranged towards the end that you'd be able to tell. But he keeps the same stupid look on his face the whole movie. You can't tell what part of drug addiction he's in. <laughs> I also think this right. is something, this is an opinion that I only have gotten recently, that I think this could have been done better as a limited series. Okay. My, con- my fear with limited series is that, like, even they if you spread it out over it. eight hours, it won't w- work. And, like, not to pick back up on the film adaption thing, but um, you guys just had me read... Daisy Jones and the Six, uh, like two months ago, and <laughs> that's getting turned into a limited series, and I'm terrified. I'm, I have no faith that that will turn out well, but I think it it wouldn't work as a movie, and it will barely work as a limited series. Hmm. Are there any other movies you can compare this to? I have thought really hard on this, and I don't think I have anything. So the only thing I have for this movie, um, which I think that this may be one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Uh, would be Serena, the Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence film oh. that just made no sense. The timing was off, the pacing was off. You hate that movie. They were better in set design and giving you a concrete time. Mm. Uh, the acting wasn't really an issue. It was just nothing made sense. It kind of just rambled on for I don't know how long. It felt like two or three hours. And then the movie was over, and you were like, what was the point? There was no build up to a climax. The tone was off. It just didn't make sense as a movie. That's how I felt about this. It just doesn't make sense as a movie. It shouldn't really be a movie. Why see it? Mm. Okay. Oh, also, I think your Taylor Soldier Spy is a good example of a book-to-movie. That's true, it is. Which I also think is interesting because the same person who adapted Tinker Trailer Soldier Spy also adapted The Goldfinch. Yes. But the difference is Tinker Trailer Soldier Spy had a killer like sense of direction, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. So okay. the actors the actors like gave it their like freaking all. Isn't Tinker which made what's it called? Tinker Trailer Soldier Spy? Isn't it animated? No. You might be thinking of a no. different one. This is like oh, the war one with Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> oh, I have no idea what we're talking about then. Cool. It's the one with uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, I'm pretty sure he's in it. I mean, he's not the main guy, but I remember always in 2012, all I could be like was Benedict in it? Cool, okay. 
It's like about the Cold War. It's like one of those movies you watch with a dad who like really did not want to watch a sex scene, and you're like, fine, just we'll watch it. But I think what was interesting about it is like it's it it does kind of have the same kind of disjointed like scenes, which I think might be a hallmark of the guy who does the screenplay. But I think the lack of direction with in Goldfinch made the performances kind of like fall to their deaths if that makes any mm-hmm. sense instead of ratcheting up yeah. the tension because the only thing I remember from Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is being stressed the whole time I was like how this is gonna get bad how is this gonna get like any worse than it already is and it's the Goldfinch mm-hmm. if I had not read the book and been like so invested at how horribly they messed it up I probably would have fallen asleep yeah I don't think I have anything to compare this to um the movie that it made me think of while I was watching it was, I think this is actually a book adaption, which is kind of funny, um, Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close. Oh. Uh, simply because, like, it's a terrorist attack in New York City. One is based in reality and the other is not. Um, but just, like, the kid going through that trauma of losing a parent in a tragic event. Um and then going on a quest for something. Like, it just, like, the themes felt similar, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Um, and the only difference is Andrew Desplat scored one and didn't score <laughs> the other. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, kids. And, and that's what you need to know about film. <laughs> Hire Andrew Desplat, please. Um, are there any closing thoughts on this film before we wrap it up and tuck it away forever rage Christopher I don't feel rage uh I just really feel that this was a college student's attempt at converting the goldfinch into a movie and it didn't work I'm sorry it didn't work sorry you wasted so much money good luck next time it just needs everything to be different Mm. And I don't know who to blame for it, but just start with costumes, start with your cinematographer, start with your screenplay, all of it, overhaul. Reassess before you make a movie with this team again, because it did not work. I think everyone just needed to be on the same page. And I think that really showed, like, I think the biggest thing that took me out of this movie, and this is my closing statement, the thing that really took me out of this movie was not being able to pinpoint what was what time we were in because and we were examining we were like okay the clothes could be from this year and she has a fourth generation ipod which came out in 2004 and then also they're going through the airport but they're going through airport security so does that insinuate that 9-11 happened already on top of this now secondary uh terrorist event at the met i mean like there was no way to really ground the viewer in where we were in time and that goes back to Addie's point of like as a viewer we're bringing in our own understanding of the world and comparing it to try and like find answers and to ground ourselves so that's what I think like should have been established day one in script writing um, and then needed to be communicated to everybody else but it just felt like we were so beyond being able to pinpoint that and it was so frustrating to watch 
Oh, okay. I think I figured out my rage. Unleash it. Theo is not a character. He is a shell of a white boy to which bad things happen. He never makes a decision. He is a white boy who does drugs and he wakes up places. That is all he does. And I think the only way to make the goal... He's not even a fun white boy who does drugs. No, he's like the least fun white boy in this in this movie who does drugs. And all of the white men in the film do drugs. <laughs> but I think the only way they could have made the goldfinch good was if they had made Theo take any action, make any choice whatsoever. I'm going to talk about The Hunger Games again. Because the reason and the- that Mockingjay oh. worked in the movie and not the book is because they were like, Katniss is too passive in the book. We have to give her action or no one will watch this. And they were correct. And you know what they didn't do in this movie? Give Theo any, any choices, any action. Just one. Anyways. Well, that, that in, in its essence concludes our conversation on the Goldfinch. Um, so just a closing round table for everybody. What was the last film you watched or rewatched? Um, and how did you feel about it? Um, uh, Kristen, go for it. Uh, the last film I watched, um, I think it was something Dreams Hot Chocolate Nutcracker about the Debbie Allen Dance Academy. It was a documentary, <laughs> um, and also an ad for kids who have ADHD and need dance lessons. Whereas I would describe the Goldfinch as an ad for kids who need therapists. <laughs> <laughs> Christopher. Last movie I watched or rewatched was The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Um, you finished it? That movie had its... Yeah, I finished it. Uh, it had its own fair share of drama, but not quite like this. Um, at least that movie had some degree of direction and a very clear plot, which Goldfinch drastically lacked. <laughs> Addie. The last movie I watched was the same movie that Zoe watched, um, but... The second to last movie I watched was Midsummer, which I had never seen. And I thought it was uh, very nice visually. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's where I'm at with Midsummer as well. Um, and the last movie that I watched was A Simple Favor. Um, and I didn't like it the first time I watched it. Uh, and this was like the third time I've watched it. And I like <laughs> it a whole heck of a lot more now. Like I learn something new or I find something fascinating about it each time I watch it. And now I'm like noticing like the French new wave influences. And I like, I, I like something new about it every time. So I think fantastic. we should do a simple favor because I think it is a bad movie, but I love it to pieces. I I would talk about how I I don't even know if I could get through an episode talking about anything bad about it. I I would just love on it too much, um, and for reasons that are just like not even like technically accurate, you know. <laughs> um, I just oh I love it. I love it almost as much as I love Bad Moms Christmas, um, <laughs> and that's a high bar to set, I must say. So okay, if you have the desire to watch this movie, uh, this movie being The Goldfinch. Um, it is available on Amazon Prime with a subscription. However, I hope this conversation has deterred you from wanting to do that. So Chris, uh, Kristen, 
Thank you so, so much for talking with Thank us. Thank you so much. Rage. Very, very much. I'm glad I was here. Just straight rage. Just rage. I'm going to go to bed angry. I hope you guys are really happy. <laughs> I don't want to say that we bullied Marissa into this movie, but I'm so glad that we bullied Marissa into this movie. Yeah, I think what's really fun is that I'm always willing to complain about a book to anyone willing to give me a microphone. So that's and, true. And here you go. This was your platform. This was your Thank opportunity. You. <laughs> if you have any ideas of truly bad movies we should watch, find us on Twitter. Where shot or shot two s h o t f o r s h o t the number two. We'd love to hear your recommendations.